0: The Daily Tap is live for Wednesday. It is February 15th. Hope everybody is doing well. We are going to talk about lessons learned from Buck Celtics last night. We'll talk about the game, hand out some golden kegs, and get into all of it. I'm excited to talk about that game. Also, we will speak on Aaron Rodgers and what he said to Pat McAfee before he heads into the darkness. Uh, We'll talk about Rodgers versus the media, Rodgers' home sweet home comment, Uh, some interesting nuggets there. And then uh, Wednesday tradition, we will play Bracketology. We'll talk about where Marquette sits, where Wisconsin sits. Now, this is pre-the Michigan win, but we will discuss that a little bit and also what I've been saying for a while, but worth repeating for my Badger fan friends. I do not think that they are completely off the bubble, even after a bad Nebraska loss And maybe a Chuck's corner at the end. We'll see if there's time. Uh, Only thing I have is I'm a little in my feels today. But I'll I'll get into that at the very end if possible. Uh, But if we run out of time, that's okay too. Before we get going, just a reminder: we are on the socials. Tapping the tag on Twitter, tapping the Keg sports on Instagram, as well as TikTok. TikTok changed their algorithm. Uh, my reviews are getting throttled down. It sucks. I don't know why. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out. Uh, so if you are on TikTok, you know, throw a throw that review a like. I'd appreciate that. Uh, we'll have to figure out what's going on there. Uh, but yeah, not not great. Uh, but anyways here here nor there uh we will we will survive uh, it happens uh, algorithms change uh you just have to adapt which is annoying but that's that's life right uh we also uh can be subscribed to on apple spotify wherever else you get your podcasts uh if you already are subscribed leave a review um, share with your friends tell us what you're all about okay now that that is out of the way let's chat about bucks and celtics So Boston Celtics were not playing their main guys. If I did a podcast on Tuesday, I would have bemoaned the fact that Jason Tatum was not playing in this basketball game. That it's one of the biggest games of the NBA calendar and Jason Tatum has a sickness. It was found out that not only does Jason Tatum not have a sickness, in fact it is to give Jason Tatum a couple days off before the All-Star break. To give him more time to rest and recover because he's not playing against the Pistons tonight either. That, to me, is absolutely bullshit. Um, it sucks that Tatum is not out there. It sucks that the Bucs did not get to see what the Boston Celtics look like with their best player. Uh, they didn't have Marcus Smart either or Jalen Brown. To be fair, those guys, they both have injuries. So I, I'm i sympathetic to that one. I, I can't argue uh, Smart and Brown not being out there. I can make a case for Tatum. But I can't make a case for those two guys. I thought it was ridiculous by some members of the local media who were making that case. Where they're like, oh, this, you know, this is such not the game that we expect it to be. But on the contrary. Because the Boston Celtics came out with a passion, with a fury. They wanted to prove every that they could win without those guys. Now, I would never bet against my own team. But the fact that the, the line was nine points with how good the Celtics have been playing... Felt a little bit off to me. Honestly, I would have probably if this was just a yeah, I'm trying to think of an example. King Suns played last night. So let's just say Suns have been playing really well, but they were sitting there, guys. I still would have probably invested in the Suns if it was like a plus eight or plus nine number, just because they've been playing well. And I think sometimes that carries over. You don't need your star talent. You're just you're just kind of connected. You're feeling good. And th- we saw that with the Boston Celtics. They were out to a 14-point lead in the thir- the late third quarter. It looked like a absolutely disastrous loss, an embarrassing loss, a loss that we would have to hear about for pretty much the entire All-Star break, and the Celtics would have the tiebreaker over the Milwaukee Bucks. But the Bucks scrapped and crawled their way back. Joe Ingles made a disastrous play, uh, using the disaster term, where the Bucks were down 8, heading into... We looked like they were heading down 8 into the fourth quarter. And then Drew Holiday hit an awesome shot. And Drew Holiday was incredible in this game. 40 points. It uh, was... I think he had eight threes overall. It was just a masterclass from Drew and played a huge reason in why the Bucs won this game. And forcing overtime shouldn't even happen. And we'll get into some of those lessons, but the Bucs found a way and that's all that matters. And we can be mad about the way they played. We can be mad about how sloppy they were. like All that stuff, we can be angry about it. But at the same time, I think we just have to poke our heads up and say, all right, they won this game. They are a half game out of the first place in the Eastern Conference. There is a, a world where the Bucs could end up being tied for first or have the first place lead over the Boston Celtics come All-Star break, which would be an incredible accomplishment and a really a psychological advantage, in my opinion, Just given how healthy the Boston Celtics have been and how unhealthy the Milwaukee Bucks have been and the fact the Bucks were able to get the one seed even without really having a full roster the entire, it's not necessarily even the first half. It's like the first 60% of the season before the All-Star break, I guess is how we can call it. Before the All-Star break, they have not had their full roster. They had it for what is that, three quarters until Bobby Portis got hurt in that Detroit game? That was it, right? And then Bobby had a knee injury. Bobby likely back after the All-Star break and then likely they will have their full roster. We will see if Chris Middleton then officially is in the starting rotation after the All-Star break. I I don't understand why we haven't got a progressive timeline, but Bud keeps things very tight to the best. So let's get into some of the lessons that we learned from this game and some things that I, I think we can take away. I, even though Jason Tatum did not play in this basketball game. I still think there is important stuff to gather from this game. I, I don't think it's something where you're like, oh, you can throw this game out. I, I do will say that lesson number one is that Giannis, Drew, and Chris are going to be very difficult for Boston to be handled at full strength. I think that that's something that can't be understated even though Boston did not have all their guys. I think the fact that Giannis is you know, MVP level like every year and he's very difficult and Boston doesn't necessarily have the bodies to keep up with him. Yes, I know Al Horford wasn't playing this game. Yes, I know Mike Muscala is not the greatest defender. I know they have like guys like Sam Hauser that work in the switches, Grant Williams, the Teletubby himself. There are guys that go up against Giannis, but Giannis can't be stopped by this Boston team. I mean, Boston knew that last year. Giannis nearly willed the Bucs to the Eastern Conference Finals even though nobody else wanted to show up in that series. So the the Celtics already know what they're getting Jonas Chris Middleton has owned the Celtics uh, forever. Uh, my guy RJ on Twitter was saying Chris Middleton's been killed leprechauns since 2017, and it's absolutely true. Middleton had 16 and 11 in only 25 minutes, and I think he, the Bucks. of run away with that overtime period if Middleton is able to play in that but because of minutes restrictions you did not have Chris Middleton at full strength but Chris Middleton is a difficult matchup for the Celtics he also defensively you know really does a number on a guy like Jalen Brown can frustrate a guy like Marcus Smart can you know frustrate more of their wing players and I think that can't be that can't be discounted same same goes with Drew Holiday defensively. Drew Holiday, you know, made a couple of key plays in that overtime, you know, stripping the ball from Derek White uh, when the Celtics were up. And it looked like the Celtics could bring it back to a two-possession game. Holiday strips the ball and the Bucs are only down, down one at that point. And then they obviously go on to win the basketball game. And if you look at Drew Holiday and his progression and the season that he's had, that makes the Bucks better from last year. That that alone, right, has unlocked the Bucks. Now, do I think Drew might sag back to that third banana, if you will, after you know Middleton is fully healthy? Maybe. But I also think that Holiday has the confidence in his game right now that he might not allow that to happen because he's been so good in terms of step back threes and in rhythm and you know making a play at the basket when the Bucks need one. I, I saw that a little bit last night, where, especially in overtime, right? He had that one take to the lane, Bucs weren't scoring, it looked like it was just kind of gonna fall apart and if the Celtics hit one more shot, it might've been over. Holiday takes it to the lane, forces action and that's stuff I think we've seen a lot and a part of that is predicated off the fact that we, they haven't had a full roster. So Holiday's had to do some of those things. We've talked about this in more of a frustrated tone with Bobby Portis about how Bobby's maybe tried a little too hard to because of the guy's out and he just needs to let the, his game come to him. I think it's the opposite for Holiday. I think Holiday sometimes, you know, wouldn't showcase all of his skills because he's like, okay, whatever. I'll drive and dish. I'll exert more energy on defense because Chris and Giannis have it. Well, Holiday has to be have a more balanced approach. Show his great defense, but also make sure that he is scoring on offense because the Bucs need that right now. And Drew Holiday, I think, has done a great job this season. I don't think there's any doubt in anyone's mind that Drew Holiday is an All Star. I would. I want to know if how the James Harden fans feel after watching what Drew Holiday did last night. But to go back to the lesson and the bigger point, the Milwaukee Bucks are are just the best team in basketball. With those three guys playing the way that they can, they are going to be very, very hard to beat if they stay healthy. And I know that is a massive if, but I think you could say that if for so many teams in the NBA. I think you would say it for every team in the NBA. That's the excuse for Jokic, right? That's why people don't look at Jokic's playoff record similarly as they did to Giannis in his young career. If you compare the two, because they're like, oh, Jokic has had all these injuries and all this stuff, and they kind of make excuses for Jokic versus you know, saying, all right, yeah, this guy really hasn't done well in the playoffs. And as I've kind of hinted at, alluded at, I think he gets figured out. I think people figure out how to defend Jokic, how to play Jok- how to attack him defensively because he's not a good defender, and how you can do that in a full playoff series versus just one game. And I think, you know, Kirk Goldsberry talked about this with James Harden in the Ryan So podcast, I think last week, in 2017, when he was with the Spurs and how the Spurs... You know we're able to hone in on Harden's weaknesses because it was a full series versus just a regular season game. I'd go back and listen to that. It's interesting not only for Jokic but for other guys like Embiid, uh, for Tatum. I think it just you you learn more in a series. I think Giannis had had some of those difficulties early on in his career, and I think Giannis the way he's just sort of figured out his game. He's you know made it difficult and impossible to figure out night in night out, and that's why he's you know best in the world. Other lessons learned: Boston's bench is an issue, but I'm not sure if it's better than Milwaukee. So, uh, Boston's bench is very talented. All right, like they they looked good. It was kind of weird the TNT broadcast at halftime. were like, oh, uh, we don't talk enough about Boston's deep bench or Boston's deep bench. You know, they're more than just Tatum and Brown and everything like that. I'm like, I'm like, who, who, who said that? Right, like. I think everyone knows that Boston has a pretty deep bench. Like one of the reasons they beat the Sixers last week and they had Tatum playing in that game was because Blake Griffin was hitting threes, right? Which is absurd. Blake Griffin right? had 15 points in this game. Mike Muscala was awesome in this game. Derek White continues his stretch. And I think an interesting subplot, if you're doing a Celtics podcast today, is what do you do with Derek White once Marcus Smart gets back? Like that's a very awkward conversation to have right now because Marcus Smart's kind of the heartbeat of the team. But I'd argue that I'd probably be more scared of Derek White in late game situations than I am Marcus Smart. I want Marcus Smart shooting the basketball down the stretch. Like, yes, please Marcus, shoot that three, force that three. If Marcus Smart's the one shooting the ball and the Bucks get beat by Marcus Smart, I will live with that nine out of 10 times unless it's something egregious, right? I don't know if I'm saying that with Derek White. And so that's a very interesting subplot of, like, how does this young coach in Joe Mazzola balance minutes when he really doesn't need to be playing Tatum 40 minutes a game, yet he is? And I don't think, I like, he could easily do what Mike Boonholzer does, because the, they have enough talent on that team. They are extremely deep. And that does worry me as a Bucks fan, as any guy, any night can beat you. It could be the Grant Williams game. It could be the Mike Muscala game. It could be... Ah, uh, the Derek White game. It could be Al Horf, the Al Horford game. Like we've seen this before. Now, is it better than the Bucks bench when fully healthy? I don't know. I, I, the Bucks have a lot you could throw at, at teams too, right? It's why they probably are the two best teams in the NBA. It's probably the Bucks and Celtics and everybody else because you look at what the Bucks have on the bench healthy. It's Bobby Portis. It could be Pat content if he decide if he's the bench player. Now I've made the case he might he could be a starter, but then it's Grayson Allen's dad, it's Joe Ingles, it's. By a buyout guy, probably. I think the Bucks are going to add somebody, whether it's a backup point guard or a backup big. I think they're going to lean towards backup big, honestly. I think that's something they're going to want to have. I don't know what that guy is, but I do think they're going to look at a buyout big versus a buyout point guard because I think Javon Carter's done enough, even though I think at times Javon gets a little too big for his britches, but Javon Carter is also on your bench. You have a talented bench unit that can play and Marjon Beauchamp wasn't even mentioned. I think as he continues to develop, it wouldn't shock me if Marjon has some moments in the playoffs too. Um, So I do look at the Bucs and say, all right, they have a solid bench. The Celtics have a solid bench. I think the Celtics bench is slightly better than the Bucs. But I, I'm not worried that their bench unit will completely dust Milwaukee, and that Milwaukee it, it lacks that depth. The only time they would lack depth is injury, right? And I, I think that goes for any team. But I was very impressed with what I saw from the Celtics tonight. Not that, not that I was surprised, right? I don't think that that it shocked me, but I, I do think it, it's something worth noting. Another lesson learned from this one is Joe Ingles does not seem built for this matchup. So. That, that was probably the takeaway that maybe hurts the most Is that Joe Ingles was terrible in this game Like we'll, we'll do a quick golden kegs at the end here But Joe, Joe Ingles is one keg Like Joe Ingles was awful in this basketball game And you brought Joe Ingles in as a way to help your bench As a way to have a little more playmaking off your bench A little more scoring off your bench And Joe Ingles just did not have it in this game and I don't know if it was he was trying too hard because, you know, there was less Middleton. And, you know, there wasn't a ton of scoring besides Drew and Giannis. Drew and Giannis combined for 76 points tonight. So I, I do wonder maybe that was Ingles kind of forcing it a bit. Uh, but he just looked kind of lost. There were some puzzling decisions defensively for him. Uh, he the, the play with Peyton Pritchard was awful. Uh, you know, I, there's a lot of stuff there where I... I'm a little hesitant on Joe Ingles now. I think that if you were to do like a stock market game, like stock on Joe Ingles would be selling at, at an all-time rate. I don't. I don't want to go to the point of like Joe Ingles can't be out there for a series against Boston because I think that's a disastrous scenario. But I do wonder: is that will he take more? Will Jay Crowder speed? He Jay Jay Crowder will he take more Joe Ingles minutes? than Grayson Allen meant. Grayson and Allen, and that's another like lesson of, of, of a lesson. Like for as bad as Ingles was, Grayson Allen actually played really well in this game. Grayson Allen played like he belonged. In that Boston series, Grayson Allen did not look like he belonged on that court. It looked like it looked like a guy who was you know a, a D3 player playing at a D1 level. Like that's what Grayson Allen looked like in that Boston series, he looked scared, he looked tight. But then, you know, he looked like he belonged. Now, regular season versus playoffs is a is a different story. Uh, Boston having all their guys is a different story. But Grayson Allen busted his ass tonight, and Grayson Allen really did a good job, and I, I he deserves credit. And so, I think that that's a at least a positive. Like I think we're buying Grayson Allen stock today. We're selling off our Ingles stock. I'm not completely off Ingles. I'm not ready to write write Joe off as you know a liability. But it, it was a little jarring that he did not he did not play well in this game. Uh, but everybody's allowed to have bad games, right? I, I think that's ultimately you know the you know to sum it up like one bad game does not define Joe Ingles. It's a little worrisome. It's something to keep in the back pocket. It's definitely something. To, it's definitely something to watch when the Bucks and Celtics get together on March the 30th. I Have two more lessons for for you. Bud has to follow up three. Uh, that can't happen again. Sam Hauser hits that big shot at the end uh, to force overtime. Uh, Chris Middleton was playing pretty good defense. Uh, it was a pretty incredible shot by Hauser. I've seen Hauser hit a shot similar to that uh, when he was with the Marquette Golden Eagles against Creighton on the road. So that, that that didn't actually surprise me that Hauser hit that shot. That said, I, I think you have to follow that in that scenario. Like you have to just take the foul, especially because Buck, Bucks have foul to give. So the Bucs even just foul right away and throw the Celtics off their, the plan for the late game situation. At least make the Celtics reset. and meet, At least make Derek White have to throw it in against Giannis again. And he almost got a five-second call on that. Like, that was extremely close to a five-second on Derek White. So make him do it again. All you got to do is just foul right when the guy has the basketball. Or maybe he tries to force a shot up uh, with a foul to give to see if he can get three, three free throws. But, like... I understand Bud, Bud's old school. I understand Bud wants to play it out, but we've seen too many instances where playing it out doesn't exactly work for the Milwaukee Bucks, especially against a Boston team that's really good at three-pointers. I just would follow in that scenario. I think you have to foul in that, in that you know, sort of team. Like, it's team-dependent. If a team's not good at shooting threes, like, ah, I'd put Miami in a, in a team not shooting threes. This would with me not looking at stats, but use, let's just use Miami as an example you would even use Philly as an example too. Like those are teams where if it's they're down three and it's late game against the Bucks, I'm not opposed to playing it out because they don't have that many good three point shooters. Now, if it seemed like Boston, who has a great three point shooter or great three point shooters all over the court you follow that scenario. You follow you definitely follow there. Golden State, right? You follow that scenario. You have to. You have to, you know, make sure that you're not getting beat that way. And there's avoidable ways to lose. And I hope that that's a takeaway for Bud that if he gets that that scenario with the Celtics again, that has to be a situation where you follow. You can't be stubborn there. I realize I preach to the choir because we know Bud's going to probably stay stubborn. The last thing on this game I think it's actually very important that the Bucs got to see some late-game sets from Joel Mazzola. So even though the Celtics didn't have all their guys, they at least get to see what the Celtics are thinking about in late-game scenarios, not only in the fourth quarter, but also in overtime. I think that's helpful. I think that you could kind of get a sort of look into what the Celtics want to do in late game scenarios and what they're how they're prioritizing you know different guys or what kind of shots and I think that's just good to know you know if you do in fact see them in the playoff series which everyone sort of expects it seems like they are on a collision course for the Eastern Conference Finals. Quick golden kegs before we you know move on to Aaron Rodgers. Three kegs to Drew Holiday just an, Incredible performance from Drew. Uh it, as I said early, any doubt that anyone had about him being an all-star is gone. That it that does not exist. Drew Holiday, easily an all-star. No one, no one would make any sort of bones about it with 40 points and eight three-pointers. Two kegs for Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh he had 36 points and 13 rebounds, and nine assists. On the surface, you'd be like, oh, that's an awesome game. But you gotta peel back the onion. He did miss eight free throws. Now granted, he was really good down the stretch with free throws. So you have to acknowledge that part. He was also 12 of 26 from the field. Uh, so definitely Boston frustrated him. He had eight turnovers. So not exactly the best game for Giannis. Giannis off a of layoff is never never a good thing. Uh, he seems like he's much more a rhythm-based player. Uh, so he had three days off and seemed to a little affect him a little bit. Uh, not exactly the best showing for Kumbo, but still really good and did enough for the Bucks to win this game. And then one keg to Joe Ingles. Uh, we talked about it earlier that it was just a really rough game for Joe Ingles. Yes, he had eight eight 8.6 rebounds, uh, three assists. The numbers look good, but he also had five personal fouls. Uh, he missed a few three-pointers. So like the stats don't exactly show that he had sort of a rough basketball game. All right let's move on to Aaron Rodgers and his comments to Pat McAfee. Rodgers did his last Tuesdays with Aaron uh, at least for the time being. I do expect if Aaron Rodgers decides to have a trade or stay with the Packers or retire I believe that will come on the Pat McAfee show so I'm not going to say that this is the last time I think we hear from Aaron Rodgers on Pat McAfee for the NFL offseason I think you'll hear from Aaron in March Maybe in April Definitely before the draft And what Aaron Rodgers' decision will be Aaron Rodgers had a few takeaways I think the biggest one is that Green Bay is home That he talks about how much he loves Green Bay And how Green Bay is, you know a place that he's been for 18 years And how much it means to him And that'll always be home It's a very sweet thing for Aaron Rodgers to say, no question about it. Like that is something that is very nice from Aaron Rodgers. I don't know if it exactly means that Aaron Rodgers is going to stay in Green Bay. I think it pushes the needle a little bit more towards that. But I also think that it could be reflective and say it's always going to be home, right? It's like me. Leaving for college, Wauwatosa was always gonna be home. Wauwatosa is, is still home for me, even though I live in Brookfield now uh, with my wife. Like Wauwatosa is still my hometown, right? Uh, I always think about the OAR song uh, "Home." Uh, you know, I or I think it's "I Feel Home" is the OAR song. But it, like, if you listen to those lyrics, like it reminds you of all the shit you did when you were a kid, good and bad, and all the happy memories, all the sad memories, all you know, all rolled up into one. And I think that's kind of what Aaron Rodgers means with that comment. But I also think Aaron Rodgers has no idea what he wants to do. I think this darkness retreat, while people make fun of it, I, I do think that Aaron needs sort of this time away to really recalibrate and think, what exactly do I want? I think there is a part of Rodgers that wants out. I think Rodgers wants to see the other side of the coin. He wants to see you know, if he can do it without the backing of the Packers and try something new. I, I'm sure seeing what Tom Brady did and, and win a Super Bowl right with Tampa Bay the year after. Seeing what Peyton Manning did winning a Super Bowl with Denver a couple years after going to Denver. I think that has to play into Rogers' sort of thought process and could I do it with another team. But I also think there's a part of Rogers that sees Brett Favre and that knows that he will be compared to Brett Favre relentlessly if he goes to the Jets, if he goes to the Raiders, if he goes to a team unknown, right? He's going to get those Favre comparisons. And I don't know if that's something that Aaron Rodgers wants. And Aaron Rodgers says, oh, it doesn't matter from an ego perspective at the Hall of Fame if he retires. But I I do think the I don't want to be Brett Favre is more than that retirement thing. I I do. like I think he does not want to be compared at all to Brett Favre. I I, I don't. like I think that's something that maybe Ertz Rogers, I know he talks about he has a good relationship with Favre. This was pre all the shit that happened in Mississippi and everything like that. And he really hasn't spoken on the Favre relationship uh, this year, but for good reason, right? Favre's been personally non grata, as he should be with all the shit that's going on in the state of Mississippi. But I I do wonder if that plays into it, where if Rodgers stays and Rodgers has one more year, two more years, and those 20 years with the Green Bay Packers, there is a legendary status with him that does not exist with with, uh, Favre or you could even say Bart Starr. Although I think there are people, the old heads will tell you that Bart Starr is always going to be Mr. Packer and I. I think Aaron Rodgers, despite wanting that, I don't think he will ever get that with the older generation. I think my generation would see Aaron Rodgers as that and tell our grandkids and tell our our kids about Aaron Rodgers and what Aaron Rodgers meant to this organization. Especially if he was able to get a super. If he gets another Super Bowl, though. I, I know, that conversation might change, right? If you were to, if the Packers win the Super Bowl next year, like that whole thing that that gets thrown for loop because he has many Super Bowls as Barst Star, and he stayed around and he saw this out and he, you know, completed sort of the vision quest, if you will. So there's that, and then there's the retirement part. And I, I think the more, like I was very much out on the retirement, but I do wonder if he's just like I just don't want to do this anymore. Like, I just want to be, you know, I want to explore other things. I want to do other things. And I'm okay with where my career is. I'm a four-time MVP. I won one Super Bowl. Everyone's going to tell me that I didn't win enough Super Bowls. And that's going to be there. But I do think that with, there is a lot of context that matters with the Aaron Rodgers one Super Bowl. It's so fucking annoying to hear, like, Oh, Melvin Gordon has as many Super Bowls as Aaron Rodgers. Or Chad Henney has more Super Bowls. Like, it. Look, man, it's the, he got that he got very close so many times, and there were so many reasons why Rodgers didn't win the Super Bowl and had absolutely nothing to do with Aaron Rodgers. Yes, the lat the 2021 year was his fucking fault. but That was the only time that I could really point to the Packers losing the playoffs and it being at the fault of Aaron Rodgers. There were multiple instances in Brett Favre's career where I could say that was Favre's fucking fault. We lost that game, right? You can't really say that way Aaron Rodgers And I know that that is kind of That might be loser talk But it, it's true And that's that's the world we should live in But the hot take world doesn't allow for that That doesn't that it Context and you know Peeling back the onion a little bit Is not allowed in, in our society When it comes to sports media But yeah that's, that's how I feel And maybe Rodgers feels the same way So I think from a You know perspective in that regard like i am torn i, I really think now i'm i've i was that like hey 60% he's going to get traded i think they said 40% and stay last week i think now i'm 33 33 33 i i think that i don't know i think it could go any way i i really i really have no read right and the other part uh, where roger said you know the media Is basically like they don't know shit about me, and no one, no one on my team is talking to the media. That's just Aaron Rodgers controlling the media, controlling the narrative. I I, I would not want to use the overused term gaslighting, but it's a little bit of a gaslighting comment from Aaron Rodgers because someone's talking, right? It's not just all the Packers. We've broke this down before. Uh, I, I do think that there are people at least speaking. To these sources, there these aren't all coming from the Green Bay Packers, okay? Like that's just not happening. Is some of it coming from NFL executives that don't actually know and that want to stir the pot a little bit? Yeah, for sure. Is it coming from people who might not be Aaron Rodgers' inner circle, might not be his agent, might not be his PR guy, but people who know people? I have friends like that, right? Like I have people who will DM me off-the-record stuff about the box, and I have people who text me on-the-record stuff about the box, and. They don't, they do not, they're not in the inner circle of the Milwaukee Bucks or in the inner circle of the Green Bay Packers. Yet I still get some of that knowledge, right? And I'm just a guy. Okay. Like I I and I'm not a newsbreaker. I don't want to be. Uh, but if I'm getting that stuff, what do you think Adam Schefter's getting? What do you think Ian Rappaport's getting? What do you think Tom Helisaro is getting, right? So respectfully to Aaron Rodgers, he's full of shit. Aaron Rodgers can say that. Aaron Rodgers can make himself feel good, but and they could. Pat has had his inner circle and be like, "No, Aaron, we didn't say anything." But then you're frantically, you know, going to your guy who might know Adam Schefter, and you're like, "Did you fucking tell Schefter this? Like, I told you to keep that under wraps." Like that to me is what I think is happening a little bit, and Aaron Rodgers is just being sort of blinded. Uh, so I don't buy that for one minute. Aaron Rodgers can say that; it can look good it can control that narrative, but I do think things are leaking out from Roger's side. I think things have leaked out from the Packer's side. The a lot of the Super Bowl weekend noise was, the, I think, the Packers trying to recontrol the narrative, and now I think where you sit is sort of, you're sort of in the middle right now. I think both sides have done a good job of, you know, explaining their plight, and we'll just sort of see how it all ends up, but I look forward to not talking about Aaron Rodgers for a couple of weeks, maybe. Um, I think it would be great if we could start focusing a little bit on the draft, which we plan. I plan to talk about. I have to figure out the segment. Uh, the truth be told, which we have Bracketology, which we're going to talk about here in a second. Uh, but like, I have to figure out where the mock draft segment fits in, uh, what that looks like, uh, and and how to sort of be different than, than the others. If you have any ideas, you can hit me up. Uh, Tabby Kaig on Twitter or Tabby Kaig Sports on Instagram I'm open for ideas for how to you know get out draft content and talk a little bit more about what the Packers could be looking at we are going to do a draft podcast with Murph again Uh, I just have to work out the details and the strategy behind it Um, so that should be coming through in March uh, getting ready for April uh, for Murph and I all right Let's move on to bracketology, talk about where everything sits before the big Marquette-Xavier game tonight. Uh, Quick thought on that before we talk about Marquette's bracketology. It's going to be a great game. I'm excited to be there. I'm excited to be in the arena for it. Uh, I I think the crowd will be a little bit less than what maybe Marquette hopes for. I think they're really hindered by the fact it's a 6 p.m. game. I understand you have to do that because most of the Big East is on the East Coast, and you have to work with the TV networks. But it's a, it is a shame that there's not a 7 or a 7.30 start for the Golden Eagles because I, I think that would maybe add to more tickets being sold for this game. Uh, and, yeah, I, I I think it's going to be a dogfight. Uh, I, I think it's not going to be easy. Uh, Xavier not at 100%. uh, No Zach Fremantle who's out with an injury, which stinks truly. I mean, this kind of the Tatum thing, right? It goes back to how we felt about Jason Tatum where we're like, we want to see things full strength. So Xavier not having their dudes and also uh, Sule Boom has an ankle injury. Now Boom was great for them in the first matchup. He had 16 points uh, and was really good down stretch, five rebounds, five assists. So if Bulam can't go and not exactly at a hundred percent, that is also a major loss for the X-Men. But we'll have to see. I, I expect the gym to be rocking and rolling. Marquette was six of twenty-four from three in that game against Xavier. Xavier plays sort of a bud-style drop system, and the shots weren't falling uh, in the syntas center, but I do expect shots to fall more in in the five serve form uh marquette's three-point defense though could be a little shaky. both teams are are shaky and allow a lot of three-point baskets and that that's say it's a little 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 wor- worrisome and xavier also doesn't turn the ball over which is something marquette wants to do so I, it's going to be a really good game i'm excited to see how this all shakes out uh, at the five serve tonight so speaking of marquette and the bracketology uh it is a very interesting you know, place where Marquette is right now. Marquette's had a three seed for Joel Lenardi and how we do this for those who are unfamiliar. We look at just Joel Lenardi and Jerry Palm. They're two of the top bracketologists. They're the bracketologists you're going to see on TV if you're watching college basketball. So that's why we use them. You could use anyone. If someone wants me to use their bracket instead, uh, you can slide in those DMs that I just mentioned a second ago. Uh, I'd, I'd be happy to partner with somebody uh, if there was interest there. But Joe Leonardi right now is Marquette as a three seed, uh, playing a good Hofstra team. Now, context is needed there. Uh, Hofstra is an automatic qualifier in the CAA, but Charleston is probably a better team than Hofstra. Remember, Charleston was ranked at one point, but Charleston has two losses in the CAA. Hofstra only one. Hofstra is still good. Like is still a good basketball team. But ultimately, that might not be a 14 seed Hofstra when it's all said and done in March. But Marquette would be playing them. It would be a pretty tough contest to start in Columbus, Ohio. They would either play Iowa or Boise State in round two. Iowa would be interesting. I think Shaka has a coaching advantage over over Fran McCaffrey. I I think Iowa has dudes. But I, I do think that Marquette would fluster them. I think Marquette that would be a good matchup for the Golden Eagles. Not only would they play to their pace, I think they would frustrate a lot of the stuff that the Hawkeyes want to do uh, with McCaffrey, with Bohannon. I just don't think Iowa is fast enough to compete with Marquette for a full 40 minutes. Or Boise State. Boise State would take it down to the gutter, similarly to what we've saw with Wisconsin, what we've seen with Butler. Some of the teams that would muck it up, they would definitely try to muck it up. Uh, Marquette would still have an advantage there, but I, I guess Boise State would be a team that I would not be exactly fond of playing uh, in round two if they were to advance. They'd get a rematch against Baylor and Louisville. I think right now we could talk about worst case. And that probably is a great podcast segment for next week. Worst case scenarios for Marquette in in the postseason in March. I think Baylor rematch is at the top of the list. Because I I just, they blew out Baylor. It was a great win. Baylor was not the team they are right now. Baylor's got some guys back. Baylor's really playing well. I think Baylor would want to kick the living shit out of Marquette. I would not want to see Baylor again. And you could say, well, that's playing scared. I just think Baylor is one of the hottest teams in basketball right now. And I and you could argue maybe they peaked too early. Maybe they don't look like this in March. But I I want no part of Baylor right now. So I think getting Baylor in a Sweet 16 would be a disaster. They'd be in the Louisville uh, regional, which would mean that they if they were to advance to the Elite Eight and the top seed were to get there, it would be Alabama. Which would be another very interesting... Like Marquette, Alabama would be... First to 90, first to 100 wins that basketball game. So yeah, uh, that would be what they look like in the Lenardi bracket. Jerry Palm has them as a four seed. So that's an interesting one for Palm because now he hasn't updated it since yesterday's games. Kansas State lost again. Kansas State is a three seed. They lose to a bad Oklahoma team on the road. So I do wonder, does that move Marquette to a three seed? Obviously, I'm sure it's dependent on what they do against Xavier. I think if they beat Xavier tonight, I think Marquette's a locked in three seed for everyone at this point. But right now, they're four seed, so we have to talk about them as a four seed. And Palm has them playing Bradley. It'll be an interesting matchup because of Brian Wardle, uh, former Marquette player uh, now coaching bradley no real ties to the current marquette regime Uh, bradley plays a much more slower paced style so they would definitely try to muck it up playing the missouri valley Always you know, a chance for an upset there. But I do like Marquette's chances. They'd either play St. Mary's or Utah Valley in the second round. Uh, St. Mary's, really good. Uh, Utah Valley, definitely one of the more underrated mid-major. I think they'll get a lot of smoke as a potential upset. I really like that St. Mary's team. But again, I think you have an athleticism disadvantage on the St. Mary's side against Marquette. It is being played in Albany. Not exactly the location you'd want for Marquette. But if you think about Albany, there is a lot of new Marquette New Yorkers, Northeast. you know. So if they're able to get there, I would say out of those four teams, out of that pod, Marquette would have the most support. Especially because St. Mary's all the way out to California, Utah Valley, obviously in Utah. Uh, so that, that does maybe help the Golden Eagles a little bit. If they were to advance, they would go to Vegas to potentially play Texas. So I do think Jerry Palm... I I like Jerry Plum, but I do think he sometimes gets like, oh, man, what if that matchup happens? Because there's certainly a what if Shaka Smart faces off against Texas in in the Sweet 16. That is a matchup that could be on the table. It's similar to setting up uh, Duke Marquette when Wojo was here. I, I think that there will be maybe some people that are trying to make that happen. I do think getting Texas as the one seed, who would be the worst one seed, would be objectively great for Marquette. That would be a huge, huge boost for the Golden Eagles if they were to avoid Purdue and Alabama, who I do think are the two best teams, you know, if Marquette were a four seed. I think Kansas is good, but I, I do think they could be beat, beaten. And as for Texas, I definitely think they have an advantage there. And I'll be curious to see if the Big, Ten, Big 12 gets two one seeds think that's a big storyline you know down the stretch here will they get two one seeds now the committee will be ranking the teams on Saturday so we'll see where Marquette finds themselves on Saturday you know from the committee's perspective as for the Wisconsin Badgers this was pre the Michigan win I think that's a very good win for Wisconsin I didn't understand a lot of people who are like oh Marquette our Wisconsin season's like done after losing to Nebraska. Brutal loss, right? It's gonna exist on your resume. That said, Nebraska's playing a little bit better. They just beat Rutgers. Like I also look at it as they have a ton of home games here. I realize they haven't played well at home, but that still the home court advantage matters. You can still get that juice. I think Hunter Dickinson, you know, being the troll that he is and one of the worst to ever do it. Like he's just he's just so annoying. He, he really is, and and he's just so fake. He's a fake tough guy, and my guy Kyle pointed that out uh, in a chat yesterday. And he it truly is like he tries way too hard to be a heel, and he's just not that guy. And it, it kind of fired up that Badger, you know, the awoke the Cole Center. So now can the Cole Center keep that same energy for Rutgers on Saturday? And that the Badgers need to keep winning. If they keep winning, I think they will find themselves not even will they be on the bubble. I think they'll be off the bubble. And I think they'll find themselves as maybe a 10 or a 5 if they're able to sort of round the corner. And we've seen this before with Greg Gard. Greg Gard has done a really good job of getting Wisconsin to play sort of at their peak when March comes around. So we'll see if Wisconsin can do this. Uh, You know, one game is, is a small sample. They have to figure out a way, though, to close games out. They can't fuck around and let teams hang around and they did that with Michigan and nearly ab- bit them again like it did against Nebraska but as for the brackets their first four team out for Joel Linardi, Uh and for Jerry Palme does have Wisconsin playing in the first four against Mississippi State now that would be a first to 40 that would be such an ugly basketball game like that's offensive to the guys like you would have to have like a not safe for work on that one Uh, Because that would just be defense, defense, defense. And that wouldn't even be enjoyable. Like, I think if we had, like, there is no reason why we need to have Wisconsin and Mississippi State play each other in the first four. Like, for the humanity's sake, we do not need that. Who's the other first four teams he has? Let's see here. West Virginia and North Carolina. We we can't, like, can we just, like, swap that? We have North Carolina. We've seen enough North Carolina and Wisconsin, too. That should also be pointed out. West Virginia, Wisconsin, Mississippi State, North Carolina. Done. Okay. But that's not what Palm has. So it's in the West. If they were to win, they'd go out to Sacramento. They play San Diego State. I think that's an advantage for Wisconsin. Like that's a team Wisconsin can definitely hang around with. And then you play Gonzaga uh, in Sacramento. So a huge, obviously it's a massive disadvantage in terms of travel. Badgers do travel well regardless. But yeah, so it would be difficult for Wisconsin to find their way to the Sweet 16 with Gonzaga even though Gonzaga is not the team they were they still are very talented they're still a team that I think could go relatively far in the tournament they're not I I think a final four team at this point but I I look at that and that's not a bad draw for the Badgers at least to get to the round of 32 so if that ends up working out we'll have to see but like I said if they keep winning they'll play themselves off the bubble because there's other teams that will find their way there As for UWM, uh, they are a 16th seed according to Lenardi. uh, Playing Kansas uh, in Des Moines uh, would not be, (laughs) might not go great for uh, the Panthers, but I, I do think that that would be an awesome accomplishment for Bart Lundy even to just get there. So play Kansas would be cool. Uh, Palms going with Youngtown State like we've talked about in the past the AQ qualifier for the Horizons all over the place because it's a very tight standings. Youngstown does play Milwaukee I believe Saturday it's either Friday uh, Thursday or Saturday I can't remember but now if the Panthers do get the the advantage against them they would have the tiebreaker with Youngstown but it's at Youngstown will be a difficult game for UWM but anyways he has them playing Baylor which would be awful right I don't think anyone wants to play Baylor right now uh, so we'll have to see what happens there with UWM. All right, that does it for the podcast. No real time for jokes, corner. All I was going to mention was that it's my half birthday today. I'm halfway to 35. That's uh, it hurts to say. Like I, I don't think I'm that old. I really don't. Uh, but that's what they're telling me. So it's uh, it's kicking the dick. Let me just let's just say that. Uh, so anyways. Uh, it's okay we'll, uh, we'll figure it out we'll, uh, we'll make make shit work But yeah We'll, uh, we'll keep staying young Anyways tomorrow I mean, I should have mentioned this at the beginning of the show But we are going to do Tab in the Keg So I'm going to the Marquette game I thought that we wouldn't be able to link up with Mitch But we are uh, So Mitch and I doing the podcast It should be exciting I can't wait for it I am fired mm-hmm. up to talk with Mitchie After the game uh, We will talk a lot about the Bucks. I do some Marquette, uh probably against as will, and we're going to talk about the ownership stuff that's going on, uh, the Evers proposal, uh, the Haslam's game. Well, we haven't talked about that, which was a Friday, Friday thing, and I just it's kind of I I don't know it was one of those things where all of a sudden we're like oh shit forgot to talk about that with everything else going on. So we'll make sure to discuss that and probably much more. Uh, so we'll, we'll talk to you on Tab at the Keg tomorrow, and then we'll uh, have a Daily Tap on Friday for the people. Uh, recapping Bucks-Bulls. Hopefully Bucks play their guys. I'm a little worried they won't after the overtime game. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, so we'll talk Bucks-Bulls and then uh, send you off for the weekend. Alright, take care of yourself. Have a great Wednesday. we will be back tomorrow. See you. Bye.